welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. This is part four of our summer series. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Just don't mind standing for a moment longer. I'm going to read our opening passage of Scripture. I'll give you some context. We're in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus has just entered the temple in Jerusalem. And by this point, he's garnered a following. And so what he's about to do is throw some shade on religious people that care more about appearance than the heart. That's the context. So he tells a parable. Matthew 28, or 21, verse 28 says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And his son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Now, which of the two did what his father wanted? You guys think you know? The first. The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. I want to call our message today, It's How You Finish. It's How You Finish. Come on, can we put our hands together one more time? You guys can find your seat this morning. Hey, as you find your seat, do you mind just saying hello to the person beside you in your vicinity? Just say welcome to church today. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. I, um, I started listening this week uh, to a podcast, and I'm not going to get too into the podcast, but uh, it's called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, uh, Rowling, however you say her last name, um, and she said something interesting in the podcast, uh, specifically in regards to legacy. And she said, uh, why would I ever think about my legacy? She said, how pompous of me to care about what people think about me when I'm dead. So why should I think about legacy? Now, we are in our summer legacy series. And so I could have taken great offense to what the Harry Potter author said about legacy. However, I'm kind of on the same wavelength with her a little bit in this. One of the things that we have said is that legacy is not about then and there. We said legacy is created here and now. And one of the things we said is that what we do today sets in motion who we become tomorrow. You guys remember this? What we do today, right now, sets in motion who we become tomorrow. Meaning, legacy isn't about something far off in the distance. It's what am I doing today that's going to change tomorrow. And I believe that everything that we do today, every step closer to Jesus, we become, every change in our life in the right direction begins to build our legacy. And I just want to encourage someone, because maybe you don't feel like you are where you want to be right now. Can I encourage you in this? How you start isn't as important as how you finish. 
Can we get going this morning? All right, I want to share a study with you guys. Uh, This is a study uh, that was specifically um, in regards to social media and couples. And there was a study that was done, and it said this, kind of interesting. It said, couples who post more frequently on social media are actually less happy than couples that don't post about their relationship. Anyone see this study? So, listen to this. Selfie-crazed couples. Those were couples that uh, would send three or more, or post three or more pictures per week of their significant other. Uh, They were 128% more unhappy than the rest. Kind of crazy, right? Um, And only 10% of couples that posted frequently about their relationship said that they were actually happy. Listen to this, 46% of couples who were more private on social media said that they were much happier. Kind of crazy, right? Did you guys get that study? Couples who post more and who are more public about their relationship are often less happy. And so this is good news if you're really jealous of that couple that posts all the time. They might be miserable. Come on, somebody. But... As I was reading this study, what kind of just came to my mind was the question, which is like, why do we do this? Now, I don't want to specifically just get on couples because I think that a lot of us do this, right? Whether it's like the food that we post or the vacations that we go on, a lot of times like we just want people to think that we have it all together. Like, why do we do this? And what's funny is that I think one thing that unites us all is that we have this thing where we want to put a perception forward of ourselves that is better than we actually are. Now, one of the things that you've probably heard before is that when it comes to like church, you guys ever heard this? Like, man, church people are the worst. Like they're hypocrites. They put one face forward in public and they act differently in private. You guys ever heard this critique before? Now, what I think is interesting is that I don't think that is strictly a religious problem. I think that's a people problem. Because one thing that I would say is just ingrained in human nature is we want to put forward a better picture of who we are than who we actually are. I began to see this week that religion and social media have a lot in common that way. It gives us places where we can put forward a perception that might be different than reality. I think a lot of times we would rather people think more highly of us than we would actually care about being a better or good person. Um, there's, there's a buzzword right now. You guys have probably heard it, uh, like to be woke. You guys have heard this word, right, going around. Uh, now, one of the things that I think is interesting about our culture today is that you can't really define words because words have different meanings for different people. And so woke to one person means one thing and to someone else. So I'll clear the deck and I'll give you my definition. Because this is all you really need, right? Forget everyone else. If you got mine, you're good. Um, Here's my definition of woke. Because I think that our world is really woke right now. I think it's this. I think wokeness is worrying more about the perception of people than actually worrying about people. Can I say that again? My definition, take it to the bank, to be woke is to worry more about the perception of people 
than to actually worry about people. And so I think social media, religion, wokeness, a lot of times there can be this great intersection where there are places where we can put forward a perception that is different than who we actually are. And I think what this looks like on social media, what this looks like in our current culture is like, I don't really care about people, but I know if I say the right words, I know if I post the right things, I know if I use the hashtag during this month, I'm gonna come across as really accepting and really loving and really caring about people. But what I would ask is how many of us actually care? What I think this looks like in religion is I care more about people thinking that I'm loving, thinking that I'm spiritual, thinking that I'm transformed more than I actually care about being spiritual, about being loving, about being transformed. And what I really want to do is not to put any group on blast, but more so to see, I think in a world that tries to divide, what we often miss is that we're all more alike than we care to see. All of us, left-wing, right-wing, religious, irreligious, we struggle with this thing where we want to put forward a better picture of who we are than who we actually are. Now, I have good news because how many of y'all don't like hypocrites? My good news is this. Neither does Jesus. And if you read the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus says a whole lot to people who put forward a perception but don't care about people. And so if you don't like hypocrites, neither does Jesus. Now, before you get on your high horse saying, man, me and Jesus align, here's the bad news. You're a hypocrite. I know you don't want to hear it, but all of us at times care more about the perception of people than we care about people. All of us at times are, using my definition, woke. And so Jesus, what he's going to do is going to tell a parable to show ultimately how he deals with hypocrisy and really what he values. And what I think is important is if I know what Jesus values, I think I'm on the right direction. So before we get into the text, I kind of just need to provide a little bit of context um, to the parable that Jesus tells. So uh, in Matthew 21, where we are today, this is the last week of Jesus's life. And... Uh, by this time, Jesus has kind of began to build sort of a, a tension, almost a rivalry, if you want to use that word, with the religious leaders. And what I mean by that is the religious leaders, uh, they didn't really like Jesus at this time. Because what he was doing, at least to them, was sort of seen as a threat to their power. Because if the people follow Jesus... The religious folks are like, well, are they going to follow us and what we're saying? And so there's kind of this tension uh, between Jesus and the religious people. And Jesus' problem with the spiritual religious leaders is that too often they care more about perception than reality. That's the tension. Is everyone with me today? So in this, Jesus tells a parable specifically directed towards the religious people. This is who he's speaking to. So he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. The first son said, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. The father then went to the other son and he said the same thing. Again, go into the field. 
The second son says, I will, sir. But he did not go. Now, a lot going on in this parable, but I first want to just kind of pull out some key people uh, so we know who is represented in this specific parable. So the first character we have is the man who is the father. And I think quite simply, the father in this parable is a representation of God. God is the father. He is the one with the invitation to the two sons. Now, the vineyard, I believe, um, is a representation uh, of the invitation to follow Jesus. The vineyard is a representation of the invitation. And the father sends an invitation to the two sons to go into the vineyard to get to work. And the first son, he's like, nah. But then he's like, yeah. And he goes. Second son, he says, I will, sir. But then he doesn't go. Now, what I think the two sons in this story represent are you and I. You and I are a representation of the two sons. And the first son, I believe, the son that says no uh, at the start, he is a representation of the rebellious. Anyone in this room consider themselves a rebel? Come on, somebody. Everyone's too afraid in church. That's the whole perception thing again. No one's paying attention this morning. Uh, The first group is the rebellious, right? They're the ones that just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going the opposite direction. That is the first group of the people in this parable are the rebellious. Now, the second group in this parable is the son who says yes, but then he doesn't go. That son is a representation of the religious. And so in this parable, two sons, rebellious and religious. Now, what I don't want us to miss because like, there's, there's, there's important stuff in here, but there's something that we can't miss before we go on. The man, the father, represents God. And in this parable, God is sending out the rebellious, and he's sending out the religious. And really, that, that send out is an invitation. You want to know what I think is really cool about this parable? Is that both the rebellious and the religious, Jesus uses just one word for them. Son. Did you guys catch that? The rebellious and the religious are both sons. You see, as I just said, we live in this cultural divide right now where everyone is trying to be pitted against each other. Conservative, liberal, left-wing, right-wing, male, female, whatever it is, I think the devil will try to use it to divide. What I love in this story is that rebellious and religious are on two opposite ends of the spectrum, but God uses only one word to describe them, son. And so I want to speak to a rebel in this place this morning. You are still a son. You are still a daughter of God. I want to speak to the religious because sometimes in church we want to get down on the religious folks. Guess what? The religious folks are still children of the most high. So here's the good news. Wherever you are on the spectrum, you're a child of God. And so you want to know what this parable tells me first and foremost is that the kingdom is open to everyone. The kingdom is open to everyone. We have this thing at our church, we call it kingdom culture. And when I say the kingdom, I'm talking about like the heavenly kingdom, like God's kingdom, like not our church. Um, But our church, kingdom church, we have what we call kingdom culture. I know a lot of kingdoms follow along. Um, And we have 
cultural values. And Hot Kingdom Summer today, if you're in the back, you'll see our cultures on the wall. They're there, beautifully done by Don Murray and, uh, come on, shout out to Don, uh, and Lori as well, drew all this stuff. So if you're there today, you can check it out in the back. But one of our cultural values is, this is for everyone. We want people to know the church is for everyone. And the reason we say that is not because we think that we exist in some silos here in St. Albert where we do our own thing and we have the best values ever. No, it's pretty simple. We just want to align with Jesus. And we think that Jesus says that the kingdom is open for everyone. And if you want to experience some transformation in your life, if you want to begin to build something today that's going to last a lifetime, I would encourage you this. Begin to align your values not with culture, not with your friends, not with what is hip and trendy, but with Jesus, who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we want to align with him. And he says the kingdom is for everyone. Culture highlights our differences. I think the gospel shows us how similar we all are. The kingdom is open for everyone, religious and rebellious. But there's something you can't miss. Because God, Jesus in the parable, he gives an invitation. Now, with the invitation comes an implication. And the implication of the invitation is that you're not in the kingdom by default. We don't like that one as much. Are you guys following? The implication of the invitation is whether you're rebellious, whether you're religious, or whether you're somewhere in between, you're not in there by default. I don't get into the kingdom simply by being born into it. And this is one of the things that like the religious folks, as Jesus is telling this parable, they would have been like, hold up, what are you saying? Because for them, their standing, a lot of it was simply because of where they were born. They were born into the priestly system. They were born in being a person of God. The implication of the invitation is that I'm not there by default. I need someone to hear this today. You don't get in because your parents are in. This isn't a membership kind of thing. Like, I use my mom's Costco card. Come on, somebody. This isn't like that. This is different. I know I'm a grown man. I get it, but any dollar I can save. Come on, somebody. God doesn't have grandkids. Listen for a second. God doesn't have grandkids. He only has sons and daughters. And so if your parents are a son and daughter of the king, that doesn't mean you're his grandkid. The implication of the invitation is that I'm not in there by default. But this beautiful unifying picture is of such that religious or irreligious, it doesn't really matter. We're all on even playing ground. That's what he's saying. And so that's kind of the bigger pictures. And I want to like get into the two sons in specific because I think that um, they're going to paint a picture for us and how we can begin to finish well. So first son again, Matthew 21, right? Father says, go into the field. He says, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Now, how many of you guys were here last week talking about gender and female, male, all that stuff? Anyone? A few people. So... One of the things I said last week, because we looked at the word um, weaker partner. Remember that? Right? The woman is the weaker partner. Everyone said amen when we went through that. Um, 
So one of the things that I said uh, was, when you read scripture, you need to understand a couple of things. W one being that uh, the language we read it in uh, is not the language it was written in. And so in the original language, um, sometimes there's, there's more nuances uh, than we can like, get in just one word. So can we just throw up that verse again? I, I want to show us something. Um, so it says, it says, he later changed his mind and then he went. Now, to change his mind isn't a wrong interpretation. That, that is what happened. But as you look at the Greek word that is there, I think that the better word um, would be three other than changed. Three words that I think are better than changed that still bring out the same idea um, is that he says no to the father, but then he had remorse. That's, that's one word that's better. Um, another word I think is better is he had regret. But maybe the best word, and again, these are all just using that Greek word, um, is repent. But later he repented and he went back. Because to repent literally means to change your mind. That's why it uses that. So if you've ever been like, man, what does it mean to repent? Like, does God want me to repent? Yes, he does. It means change your mind. It means because the way that you've been thinking about things, the way that you've been seeing things probably isn't actually the right way. And so what's cool about this story is that he leaves, right? He's a rebel. He's a rebel without a cause. He leaves. And he goes the opposite direction of God. And it's a parable, so it's really short. We don't see the whole thing. But something happens where he experiences regret, remorse. I would even say pain. And then he changed his mind. When he went the opposite way of the father, you need to see this, he didn't find what he was looking for. You know, the picture I had is, I, I, we have four kids, um, all under the age of three and a half. Uh, so when I say the older kids, like they're not that old. Uh, but the older kids in, in our household, uh, they're really good at listening. Um, but when they're like having fun and being rambunctious and doing crazy things, not so much. Um, and so I'll say things like, hey, don't run on that couch, don't jump off. And my daughter, Abby, um, she says this thing, it kind of ticks me off. She says, Dad, don't worry about it. I'm like, are you like an Italian mobster? What do you mean? <laughs> don't worry about it. What do you <laughs> She's like, Dad, don't worry about it. And to be honest, like, I don't really care that they're jumping. Like, I don't think it's like wrong or immoral or anything like that. They're just kind of clumsy. And I'm really afraid they're going to just smash their heads into each other. And so a lot of times I'll be like, hey, stop doing that. They'll say, don't worry. Opposite direction. And when they're having fun, they completely ignore me. Don't think about me again. <laughs> but something happens, usually like inevitably and eventually, where someone smashes into something. And then they come back to me and they're crying, and they're hurt, and I know they just told me not to worry about it. But when they're crying, and when they're hurt, I really only have one reaction, and it's arms wide open. And I come and I embrace them. And so, the implication in this parable, I want us to see this, is that the guy that went the opposite direction, he went and hit his head. He did something that caused him pain. 
that caused him to change his mind and come back to the Father. And what I love about this picture is that the Father's arms are wide open, ready to embrace us. And so I want you to understand something in, to, I want someone in this room to understand, especially if maybe you find yourself on the rebellious side of things. Whenever you come back home, the Father's arms are wide open. And you're still a son. You're still a daughter. And he says, come on home. And that's what we see with this first group. And so I want us to understand something for, for those of us that are believers. We know where we stand with Jesus. Because if we are spirit-filled believers, we're not actually quite in this parable. This parable is the religious and the irreligious. And so our job, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, do you know what we do for all of those people that are banging their heads, hurting themselves? We never condone their behavior, because why would I ever condone something that's gonna hurt you? That's not loving to say, hey, I agree. But we don't need to condemn either. Do you wanna know why we don't need to spend our time condemning people's behavior that we don't agree with? It's because their behavior is gonna condemn them, themselves. One day, inevitably and eventually, how they're living is gonna come back. And so our job as believers is to just be arms wide open, to embrace and say the Father's house is open. The invitation is still there. And so for the religious people, because that's who's here in this parable, and maybe there's some religious folks here today. This was a tough pill for them to swallow. Because for them, you're saying like, you can rebel, you can be an idiot, and he's still gonna accept you when you come home? It's a tough pill to swallow. And so if you're in this room, because one of the things I believe to be true is this, all of us lean one way. We either lean to rebellion or we lean to religion. And for me, I lean more religious than I lean rebellious. And so what I need to do sometimes is I need to check my heart and I need to ask myself this. If that wild and out person comes back to Jesus, what's my posture gonna be? When someone's out in the world getting crazy, do I wish for restoration or am I praying retribution? That's what this parable is supposed to do. It's supposed to stop us dead in our tracks and let us know, hey, maybe Jesus doesn't see things the way that you see things. And maybe his kingdom is more inclusive than we would want to believe. And so for the first son, he says no, but then he comes back. Is that making sense? Second son, again, it says the father went to the other son. He said the same thing, right? He answers, I will, sir but he did not go. Now, I think this is a funny passage of scripture. I was watching this clip um, and it was saying that in the gospels, Jesus shows every emotion possible, but the one thing that he never shows is humor. He's never funny. Now, I happen to disagree because I think this is a funny passage of scripture. I often have this weird thought. You guys can let me know if you've ever saw, thought this before. Maybe not, maybe just me. But I often wonder, like, I know y'all laugh at me sometimes. I was like, but does Jesus ever laugh at my jokes? 
Like, is he ever at the right hand of the father? Like, that was a good one, Harrison. <laughs> That's my boy. Like, I just, I was wondering that this week. But um, I think that since we have senses of humor, that comes from the one who created us. Um, but this is a funny picture here. And, and why it's funny is because this son, he could have just, like, when Jesus tells the parable, he could have just said, like, yes, I will go. And then he doesn't go. But Jesus adds this word that I think is really funny. Um, and it's just one word. It says, sir. I will, sir. Because what Jesus is trying to put forward is like this ultimate picture of this person that is trying to just say all the right things. Not even I'm going to go, but like, yes, sir. You know you can count on me, sir. A present and accounted for. Like, it's this picture of this ultra-religious person that is trying to say and do all the right things, but get this, ultimately rejects Jesus. This should be a sobering thought. I can act the right way. I can go to the right places. I can say the right things. I cannot drink. I cannot swear. I cannot smoke, but I can miss the kingdom. And for the religious people whom this is pointed at, like, there's like this mic drop going on right now. It's like, you're saying that, like, we're not going to end up where we think we're going to end up? And it's like, that's exactly what I'm saying. You see, I've said it like this before, and it bears repeating. I think that one of the safest places for the hardest of hearts is within the confines of religion. One of the safest places for the hardest of hearts is within the confines of church. You want to know why? Because I can learn to say all the right things. Good morning, brother. Spirit's heavy today, sister. <laughs> Alive and well. Like I can, I can say all the proper spiritual lingo in the world. I know the definite time to show up. but my heart can still be far from God. Now hear me, I'm not saying church or organized religion is wrong or bad, I'm not. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I believe it is Jesus' only mission to save this world is through the church. But I also know that everything God creates, the devil wants to destroy. And so church gives us a place sometimes where we can hide. And I want to say something, and I haven't been a pastor for a tremendous amount of time. But I've been a pastor long enough to realize the groups of people that I like more than the other. And one thing that I have found is that I'd much rather deal with a rebellious person than I would a religious person. And the reason is this. Again, speaking of the parable, both need Jesus. I'm not saying, like, I, I love the rebellious and God loves them more. No, that's not what I'm saying. Why I'd much rather deal with the rebellious than the religious is because the rebellious is closer to finding Jesus. You want to know why? Because rebellion bottoms out faster than religion does. Because when I'm in rebellion, I'm closer to realizing this is a one-way ticket to nowhere. And I just have this belief. I believe so heartedly in who Jesus says he is that anything contrary to his way will one day bottom out. 
And so I see rebellious people, and to be honest, I kind of just have this heart posture that says one day they're coming home. One day they're coming back to Jesus. Religious people, it's a little bit harder. You want to know why? Because religious people don't think they need Jesus. Because they say the right things. They read their Bible. They come to church. They know when to stand. They know when to sit. They know when to clap, when to be quiet. And so what happens is that the safest place for the hardest of hearts oftentimes is in the church because we don't think we have to change. And even more so and even more deadly is we don't think we need saving. And the moment you don't think you need saving, the moment you don't think you need grace, you're further from Jesus than you would ever imagine. Now you're saying, Harrison, great opinion, don't agree. Amazing. Let's get to scripture. Revelation chapter three, this is Jesus, and he sends, um, really they're, they're, they're encouragements, but they're also warnings to seven churches. And he gives this warning to one church uh, in Laodicea. He says, and this is, again, this is Jesus. He says, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, what is hot? To be hot is to be spirit-filled. It's to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You are a saved believer. That's what I think it means to be hot. Holy Spirit dwells in me. I have the fruits of the Spirit. I have the power of the Spirit. I have joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, self-control. I'm going to say it from the top of the rooftops, the happiest and the nicest people that I know that I believe exist on planet Earth are Christians. And I stick by it because they're hot. What's, what's a cold person? Pretty simple. They're far. They, you know, and they can look different and, and maybe they're doing outward rebellious things or maybe they just have this heart posture like, I don't believe in God. I don't think that there is a God. I don't need a God, whatever it is. That's the cold person. Now, Jesus says, like, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. I wish you were doing drugs. I wish you were drinking. I wish you were acting a fool. He says, but instead, you're just lukewarm. What's, you're neither. And to me, I think this is the ultimate picture of what it means to be religious. I'm not cold because I do all the right things, but I'm not hot because I do not rely on Jesus day in and day out. I rely on my own works. And Jesus says, I spit you out. You wanna know what a lukewarm Christian is? It's someone that bears the name of Jesus, but hasn't been transformed by him. Come on, that's good preaching. I bear the name of Jesus, but I've never been transformed by him. You see, can I give you guys real biblical language right now? Uh, as Christians, we call this regeneration. It's, it's a new heart. Like literally, when, when Jesus comes into our life, he gives us a new heart. And the mark of a believer is that my heart has changed. It's not that I have great spiritual disciplines. It's not even that I come to church. And those, those aren't bad things. Those are just the results of a new heart. 
And if I skip the new heart, I'm going to miss the whole thing. And that's what religion does. It skips the heart transformation and goes straight to behavior modification. So ultimately, what do I learn about this parable? What does Jesus care about? I would say it like this. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. That's what he cares about. Is your heart changed and transformed? I was, I was reading um, another study. This one's kind of crazy. Um, I said it before. I think Christians fill in the blank. Nicest people, best people, best marriages. List goes on. Check, 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 check. There was a study that was done. This is specifically for husbands within the context of marriage. You want to know who the most loving men are in the context of marriage, statistically speaking. Loving, devoted, kind, best with their kids. You want to know the best? Christians. By far. And now hold on for a second because you're going to be like, Harrison, do you understand stats when I tell you this next thing? I do, just hold on. You want to know the most abusive men in the entire world who beat their wives, cheat on their wives at an alarming rate? Christians. You're like, Harrison, hold on. That doesn't even make sense statistically. I know. Because there's one word that differentiates these two groups of people. One are people that are called Christians, who I would say, spirit-filled, love the Lord, fruits of the Spirit. By far, best marriages, best parents, best sex life. Come on, somebody. Like, the list goes on. This group over here, there, there's one word I didn't share in front of Christians, um, but they are what are known as nominal Christians. And what a nominal Christian is, nominal means this, in name only. So I'm a, I'm a nominal gym member right now. <laughs> in name only. I don't know if Annabelle's here, but like a couple days ago, she's like, you working out, pastor? I said, don't judge me, sister. <laughs> so... Nominal means in name only. So these were specifically men who called themselves Christians, didn't go to church, didn't read their Bible, didn't have any sort of spiritual life, but called themselves a Christian. It was a crazy stat. Nominal Christians were far and away the most abusive men on planet Earth, even more so than your atheist agnostic neighbor. Worst husbands, worst fathers. Why? Because they bear the name of Jesus, but their hearts have not been transformed. And even more than that, they try to take the principles of Jesus without understanding the heart behind it. And this study shook me to the core because man is just proven what Jesus is saying in this parable. It's all about the heart. It's not about how I talk or what I sound like or how I present myself. It's has my heart actually been changed. And Jesus, as I said, has harsh words for the nominal Christian. In the Bible, these are the religious folks in the New Testament, Jesus says this, Matthew 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead, and everything is unclean. Now, hypocrite in the Bible literally means actor, like to put on a mask. He's like, you guys are acting. And I love that picture. He's like, you were like a beautiful tomb. On the outside, it's all washed. It's nice in loving memory of blah, 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 blah. He's like, but on the inside, you're dead. Nothing's there. 
You want to know what this tells me? Jesus cares a whole lot more about heart transformation than he does about my outer appearance and the things that I do so other people can see it. Now, again, we can look at this. We can say, man, religious folks are the worst. Can't stand those people. And maybe we've never been so extreme as to like beat our wives but call ourselves a Christian. Maybe that's not us. And if it is, we can talk. I might call the police though. Um, But all of us, at times, if we're truly being honest, we try to put friends on. We try to act like we have it all together. And I would say for the people, especially those that have been turned off by church, turned off by religion, like I can't, I can't stand these people. Listen, I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. I'm not saying they acted how they should have acted. But I want you to understand, even these people, the grace of Jesus is still available to them. So let's look at this parable. Jesus says, which of these two did what the father wanted? Well, the first, because he's the one that finished well. Even though he didn't go, he, he went in the end. He, the first, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Can you imagine that for the church folk? He's saying the prostitutes, the tax, they're ahead of you. Now, I want us to understand this. He's not saying that they get in free pass. Do nothing, you're good. He's just saying one of these groups is closer to the entrance than the other. Look what he says, continues. He says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. Now he's talking about John the Baptist and John was preaching this message like prepare yourselves. The king is coming, Jesus is coming. He says, you religious people, you didn't believe him. He says, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even when you saw it, you didn't change afterwards. Your minds, and you didn't believe him. So ultimately, it's not like, hey, tax collectors, prostitutes, you just get in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when the message of salvation was given to them, they accepted it because they were hungry, because they realized where they were wasn't getting them what they wanted. And so when John the Baptist came with this message, behold, the Lamb of God is coming. They said, I need that, because my way's not working. And so Jesus says, you fools, these people, these immoral people that you perceived as so far, he says, they're entering ahead of you. But I love that word, I love that word, ahead. Do you guys get that? This is hope, because Jesus is not just hope for the irreligious, he's hope for the religious. Ahead doesn't mean the door is closed. It just means I need to change something inside of me. I need to realize I need a savior. That is the great unifier of everything, is I need Jesus. You need Jesus, we all need him. The religious, the irreligious. that has it all together, then my life is a mess. Everyone needs Jesus.
And ultimately, because some of us are saying, Harrison, like, it kind of sounds like you're saying, like, don't come to church, <laughs> don't be nice, like, just worry about your heart. That's not what I'm saying. What I want us to understand is that a transformed heart will produce a transformed life. If you try to change your life, but not your heart, you'll never get to where you want to go. Can I tell you, when the Lord first changed my life, he changed my heart. And I didn't realize this, but what I tried to do right away was go to all the people I know and change their behaviors. And one day the Lord said to me, Harrison, that's not how I worked with you. I changed your heart first. And then your behavior changed. Because you need to understand this. Rebellion says, my behavior doesn't need transformation. Religion says, I'm acting so good, I don't need transformation. Both need Jesus. Both need a heart that is transformed. And ultimately, Jesus offers a better way for both. And why I believe I'm preaching this message today is because I think today is the day that someone in this room, your legacy shifts. It changes the trajectory of your life, of your family, of your witness, of your influence changes. I have an invitation for someone today. I know it's been fun running a wild. I know it's been fun over there, but I know that it hasn't been what you thought it was. And I know that what you are looking for has not been found there. So I want to offer you an invitation today. In the name of Jesus, come home. The Father's arms are wide open. I want to offer the same invitation for the religious today. As I said, it's a little bit harder. But I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, convict that inside of us. If there's someone that you've been doing this by your own effort, by your own goodwill, by your striving, I want to just implore you today, come home. The Father's arms are wide open and grace is always better. It's always better than striving. It's better than religiosity. It's better than putting on this front that I have it all together. So can we just all stand for a second, church? My appeal is so simple today. To the rebellious, to the religious. And maybe you find yourself somewhere in between. Jesus is calling and inviting you home today. So every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. If that's you this morning, if you're saying, I've been running far too long. I started off wrong. I said no. But like this first son, you just want to say yes. It's that simple. Just say yes. If that's you this morning, can you just show me your hand? I would love to welcome you home. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you see every single hand and you see every single heart. God, for every decision today to follow you, it's a new beginning. The old has passed away and the new is here.
So Father, I just pray right now that this Holy Spirit just convict our hearts and our minds for the places that we've been running, the things that we've been chasing. If it's time for us to come home, Father, just convict that in our spirits right now. I would just love to pray a prayer together. Can you guys just repeat after me? This is just a prayer of surrender to say I'm leaving behind the past and enter it into the thing that Jesus has for us. So just repeat that. Just say, dear Jesus, I give you everything. I give you my wins and I give you my sins. Father, today I surrender. The old me is dead and gone and I am a new creation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, can we just clap our hands for every person today that's taken a step towards Jesus? Come on. Hey, Greg's going to come up here in a second, but if you made a decision to follow Jesus, please fill out a connect card. There's a slide on the screen. We would love to connect with you. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more information about Kingdom Church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. See you next week.